Hey, I'm Andy, and you're watching episode four of the Andy McMillan Podcast. In this episode, we're actually piggybacking off of episode two. So if you haven't taken a moment to watch that, go back, watch episode two, where we begin the discussion of how we worship God and the fact that God's designed us uniquely to worship him. That just as unique as you are, God's designed you to worship uniquely. But before we jump into that content, I want to ask you to do me a favor. If you're enjoying this podcast, if you're enjoying watching this, do me a favor, subscribe, like this podcast. Podcast, subscribe here on YouTube or on the podcast that you're listening to, like these videos, and then share it with some friends. Maybe you've got some friends that you think might benefit from it. It would be an honor to me if you would share it on social media or even just in a text. You can pretty easily do that. So share the content and let people know uh, that we're here doing this. Well, in today's episode, we're going to continue the discussion from episode two on how we're made to worship God. And that just as uniquely as you are made, God designed you to worship uniquely. And there's all different kinds of ways that we can worship God beyond what we do on Sunday morning, beyond music and beyond song. And for some of you, that may be the way, the primary way that you worship God. But for many others, there are diverse ways that we can worship him. You know, before we jump into the specific ways that we're going to talk about worshiping God today, I want to give you a couple of thoughts on worship. And the first is a definition for worship. This is actually a definition that's very personal to me because it's from a a lifelong mentor and pastor in my life. Now, if you Googled definitions of worship, I'm sure that there's a million of them out there. But this one in particular just means a lot to me. And it's this, that worship is my response to how awesome I think God is. That really is what worship is. It's responding to God in a special and unique way, in the way that God's designed us, in a way that honors him for what he's done in our life. Responding to him for his goodness. Responding to him for his grace. Responding to him for the sacrifice and the atonement that he's provided for our sin. I heard a friend say this the other day, and this statement stuck with me, that our soul's most natural place and our soul's most natural posture is that of worship. Have you ever had a moment with God, whether it be in scripture or prayer, or maybe in a worship gathering where you just really sense the presence of God that There was just something right and natural about what you were doing. Yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. Your soul's most natural posture is to worship God. And just like we said in episode two or the first episode in this discussion, we said that God desires for you to worship in the place that you connect with him the greatest. So today we're gonna spend time talking about four different ways that we can worship God. One of those four is solitude and silence. Now, this may seem kind of odd. Maybe you've never really thought about worshiping God in silence before, especially if you're like me and you grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic movement where it kind of seemed like the louder your worship was, the better. Anybody? Any, anybody with me? But there's actually something very powerful about 
doing the opposite of that, worshiping God in solitude and silence. And I think what's unique about worshiping God in solitude and silence is that it directly goes against the culture that we live in. We live in a culture that doesn't want us to have a silent moment anywhere. And and I'm guilty of it. I think most of us are guilty of it, that it's easy for any moment of the day to have the television on or your phone reading a book to you. Or I mean, we could be listening to a ton of different things throughout the day and, and not ever stop. I, I catch myself, even when I'm spending time to my kids, popping one in and, and I have to stop myself sometimes and just, and just spend time with the people in front of me. Now, sometimes I still leave one in because, you know, you can only take so many crazy kids for so long, but there is a truth that the enemy is fighting for us to be very busy. And the enemy is fighting for us to have anything but time of solitude and silence. And I believe that God deeply desires to speak to us in solitude and silence. And I, I think that some of us are even especially wired to worship God that way, that, that I, while I think all of us need solitude and silence in some seasons, there are some of us that find much more fulfillment in spending time with God in, in places that are completely quiet where they can just hear the voice of God. We can see all throughout the scripture, many different people that go away to hear the voice of God in just solitude and silence. And one of those people is Jesus. We see Jesus several times in the scripture go off to hear the voice of the Lord. Let's take a look at a couple of scriptures. Mark 135, and rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place. And there he prayed. When Jesus wanted to hear the voice of the Lord deeply, he went away. The Bible tells us that he got up early. He went to a dark and desolate place to pray. Why? So that he could have some solitude and silence with God. And there is something powerful about those moments. And I can remember in my life several years ago when I was going through what I would call my darkest season of life, that What got me through that season was not a prayer service. It wasn't a really impactful worship service, although I do believe in those and I think that they can leave marks on your life and they've left marks on my life that are positive. But when I needed to hear from God deeply, I found God walking around a pond several acres behind the house that I grew up in when I was in college. And I remember that dark season. And I I remember finding grace in that season and finding joy and peace in that season in one place. And that was in solitude and silence. It was getting away from the chaos of my life and being able to hear the voice of God. And if Jesus needed time away to hear the voice of God, surely we all do. And we know that Jesus left to go into solitude to spend time with his heavenly father, not just one time, but several times in the scripture. I think it's safe to say that Jesus found one of the most unique ways to connect with his heavenly father through solitude. And we can see that all throughout the gospels. And one place in particular that I think is interesting to point out is the story of the garden of Gethsemane. On the night of Jesus' betrayal, Jesus went to the garden with his disciples and went away for some time of solitude. And when he went, this was the moment that we see his his personal physical will push against the will of his heavenly father. And we see this battle in the garden of Gethsemane, but it was in the garden of Gethsemane in solitude and silence before God 
that we see him connect his will and align it to God's will. And this is important that I think that solitude does that in our in our soul, that when we get out, when we get a, away from all of the noise around us and we just allow God to speak to us, that that is the moment when our will and his will line up and we can live out the life that he's called us to. I wonder what Jesus would have done if it wasn't for the Garden of Gethsemane. What would we accomplish? How much more would we accomplish in our life for Jesus if we chose to find some time of solitude to just listen to God in our life? I believe that this becomes a form of worship because it not only allows us to align our will with his will, but there's also an intimacy that comes from solitude and silence. And when I just sit in God's presence and experience God, something special comes out of it. Well, let's talk about a different way to worship God, and that is through activism or social justice. This is actually the opposite of being in solitude and silence. It's somebody who's willing to get out front and in front of people and declaring that how someone else is being treated is not right. I think that you should know that while we were filming this particular part of the episode, I said twice instead of social justice, I said Southern justice. And just between me and you, Southern justice and social justice, probably not the same thing. All right, anyway, moving on. I think a lot of people actually misunderstand those who worship God uh, through social justice. And this is a way that we actually see very common throughout the scripture, but when we see it in its modern context, a lot of us question whether or not it's effective. A lot of us question whether or not it's actually godly, uh, maybe to stand out on a street corner with a sign or, or to live a life where you protest or all of those types of things. And I just want to say that if you are passionate about that and you believe that it's a form of worship, so does your Bible. Yes, that's right. There are tons of people in scripture that loved God and worshiped God through activism, through social justice. And actually, most of the more famous people we know in scripture were just that, people who were passionate about social justice. And one of them that we're going to talk about today is maybe next to Jesus, the most famous figure in scripture, and that is Moses. Moses predominantly lived his life as a person who fought for social justice. Let's take a look at the very first time we see Moses taking a stand in scripture. Exodus chapter 2 verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw Egyptians beating a Hebrew, which were one of his people. He looked this way and that way, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike down your companion? And he answered, who made you the prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed this Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. And when the Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. This is the very first story where we see Moses' passion for social justice rise up. And I, I do want to make something clear. I'm not saying that, hey, if you want to worship God through activism, go kill somebody. Like That's not what we're saying. I think we can all agree that probably Moses' response was a bit of an overreaction, right? 
Okay, so now that we've got that out of the way, we can see this same passion that Moses had in the very beginning of Exodus all throughout the book of Exodus. It's the same passion when he made the mistake of killing that Egyptian that brings him back to Egypt. Because when he comes back to Egypt, it's not just the Egyptians that don't like him. It's also the Israelites. Israelites don't like him. Egyptians don't like him. Yet he comes back because he is so passionate about this thing that God's called him to. And that is to bring the people of Israel out of their slavery so that they can be the people that God's called them to. This is what it means to be an activist or be passionate about social justice. And I can name several people personally that I've seen take that step because for them, they feel closest to God when they're standing up for other people. Now, I do want to give a couple of disclaimers to this form of worshiping God because I know for people who are passionate about this that you may say, yes, I connect with that. Well, let me give you a couple of things to think about. That There's never a cause that is more important than you choosing to live out the character and the nature of Jesus in your life. That as you protest, as you stand up for God, that you are to be a person that still reflects the character and the nature of Jesus. When that stops or when we let that be a secondary part, it no longer becomes worship. It's just something that we're doing. But when we do it with the character and the nature of Jesus in us, and that's at the forefront of our mind, it honors God. The second thing that I want to say to those of you who are passionate about social justice, and maybe you're listening to this and you say, yes, that is how I want to worship God. Well, just so you know, you are unique and you're a gift to the body of Christ. And not everybody is going to feel the exact same way that you do. And it's important for you to acknowledge, recognize that just because someone doesn't want to do exactly what you want to do when it comes to standing up for social justice doesn't mean that they love God any lesser or follow Jesus any less than you do. It's just different. There are some people that I believe were just born out of the womb as Micah 6-8 people, people that push and are passionate about acting justly, walking humbly, and loving mercy. And if that's you, you're a gift to the body of Christ. But no, not everybody's wired like you. And just like I wouldn't expect everybody to go in worship in the exact same way I worship, you can't expect that either. The last thing I want to say for those of you who love to worship through activism and social justice is this. You're not alone. You may sometimes feel alone because you don't see anybody else caring in the specific way around you that you do, but you're not alone. This feeling of being by yourself in isolation is actually common for people who are gifted in the way that God's gifted you. We see this in the life of Moses. We see this in the life of even Abraham. We see this in the life of Elijah, who was definitely an activist and a social justice prophet. We see that throughout their lives. You can see it in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, where we see him struggle uh, for feeling like he's the only prophet left. Well, I'm telling you, you're not alone. And God sees what you're doing and God sees what the effort that you're putting forward and God will bless that. Now, we do have to decide if we're gonna worship God in this way, not to measure our worship by results, but to measure our worship by obedience. Your obedience to God is what matters. And you may not necessarily get the immediate results you want, but know that God is using what you're doing for a purpose. Well, let's talk about the third way that we can worship God, and that is by worshiping God through contemplation. 
Worshiping God through contemplation simply means that your focus in worship is to love and adore God. That when you come to be with God, it's about deep intimacy and it's about a deep friendship with your God. And this is a beautiful way to connect with God. And we can actually see contemplative worship all throughout, not only the Bible, but throughout church history. Let's look at a couple of scriptures together. Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse seven and eight says this. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Let's look at another one, Psalms chapter 63. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with a fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. These two passages we just read are beautiful pictures of contemplative worship. In the first passage, we see God's deep love for us, not because we were perfect or not because we were strong or not because we were great, but just because he loved us. The second one that we looked at is reciprocating that. David, throughout the Psalms, worshiped God contemplatively. He just had a desire to adore God in a very deep and intimate way. One thing to note, not just about David, but for many contemplatives, is this very serious focus on growing with God being much more about intimacy than it being about living a certain way. That they would say, most contemplatives would say, that they live more like Jesus out of their intimacy for him than by choosing whether or not to do something. And they would say that the deeper they go with Jesus, the less sinful, the less carnal their life is, and the more like Jesus they become. This is a beautiful way to worship God. And I've got several close friends that I would genuinely call contemplative. And I think as we grow in our relationship with God, many of us will have contemplative seasons where it is more focused on that intimate connection with him. Well, let's talk about our last way of connecting with God. And that is connecting with God through our intellect, connecting with God with our mind. Now, the Bible actually has a lot to say about worshiping God with our mind. We actually see Jesus address this very specifically. This is a passage that most of us are familiar with, but let's take a look at it. Mark 12, 30. And you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Well, Jesus in this passage is telling us that we are to love God with every part of our being. And one of those areas is specifically the mind, that we can worship God with our mind. And there are some people that they're especially passionate about worshiping God with their mind. Now, what does it mean to worship God with their mind? There's a lot to be said about that. And we actually see a lot about loving God with our mind in scripture and, and being passionate about learning more about God. Scripture says this in Proverbs. Let's check it out. 
Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This passage tells us that fools despise wisdom. But those who love to worship God with their mind are people who are actually passionate about wisdom, passionate about gaining knowledge about God and about knowing more about him. And this can be done in several different ways. One of those ways can be just someone who loves to read the scripture. I've been around people who love to worship God with their mind by just spending time deeply in the scriptures. I've got a close friend who's very passionate about receiving a personal revelation through his time in the Bible. I know other people that are passionate about worshiping God with their mind, that they love to study the Bible. They love to understand the the context of the scripture, like the story behind the story. They love to understand church history and how we've gotten up to this point. Those are ways to worship God with our mind. And when we're engaging in that, if if you, as you're learning, feel engaged spiritually, you probably are someone who's designed to worship God with their mind. Now, I believe that everybody is wired to to know God mentally, obviously, but there are some of us that are just a little more passionate about this, and maybe that's your deepest way to connect with God. Another way that you might worship God with your mind is by studying theology. Maybe you feel closer as you study how different people process who God is. Maybe that's a connection and intimacy point for you and God. Another way that people connect with God is actually through something that's really unique and actually harkens back to something we talked about in episode two, which are traditionalists. Some people love to worship God mentally by reciting scripture, reciting scripture and not only scripture, but reciting ancient creeds that talk about their own theology. A lot of people do this with the Nicene Creed. I I have several friends that actually do it with that. I know even some people who've written their own personal creeds that they recite regularly to just keep God in the forefront of their mind throughout the day. And this is a beautiful way to connect with God. And for those of you who say, I don't necessarily experience God in a worship service the way other people do. Maybe you say, I'm a little more analytical. This is a great place for you to plug in and worship God. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't attempt to engage in corporate worship or attempt to connect with God through song, but it does mean that God has a specific way that he may want to connect with you personally. For those of you who say, man, I may want to experience worshiping God through my mind, let me give you a couple of resources that might be helpful. One great book that you might find interesting is How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. Another book that might be helpful is a book called Everybody's a Theologian by R.C. Sproul. These two books, when I was really first diving into scripture, made a huge impact in my life, and I think they'll make an impact in yours as well. Well, we've talked a lot about different ways that we can connect with God over the last couple of episodes, and I hope that you've heard one and said, man, I really want to experiment with this one. I think that God may have wired me to connect with him in this way or that way. I genuinely hope that for you. If you say, I just haven't quite landed on one yet that really connects with me, a great tool that you can use is a book called Sacred Pathways. A lot of the content that we've been discussing is from that book, and so if you'll pick that book up and read it, I know that you'll 
you'll find a unique way to connect with God. God desires for you to connect in a way that's just as unique as he has designed you. So jump in, begin to discover how God desires to connect with you. Until next time, this is the Andy McMillan Podcast. Mm-hmm.